Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast. My name is Zach Hodges, and I'm a pediatric hospitalist here at the Medical College of Georgia. I'm pleased to introduce our two guests on today's episode. First, we have John Beck. John is currently a fourth-year medical student, but also a future pediatric resident here at MCG. Hey, John, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be coming back here to continue my education. Next, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Jacqueline Chan. Dr. Chan is an assistant professor of pediatrics and a practicing pediatric endocrinologist here at MCG. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Chan. Hi, glad to be here and thank you for having me. This is exciting. To get us started, Dr. Chan, will you tell us what exactly is congenital hypothyroidism and why is it important for our pediatricians to know more about it? Sure. So congenital hypothyroidism is basically thyroid hormone deficiency present at birth. This may be due to a problem with thyroid gland development or thyroid hormone biosynthesis. It is very important to recognize this early as this is one of the most common preventable causes of intellectual disability and developmental delay. So timing of initiation of therapy is very, very important. Great. Now that we've covered some of the basics, John, do you want to present our case for today? Yes, absolutely. Our patient is a one-week-old baby girl who is seen in follow-up. Her pediatrician was recently notified that her thyroid function testing was abnormal on her newborn metabolic screen. Her mom reports that she had a normal pregnancy, delivery, and newborn course. There's no known family history of thyroid disease. Dr. Chan, thinking about this case, how common is congenital hypothyroidism, and what questions should we ask during our history if our patient screens positive? Well, the overall incidence of congenital hypothyroidism is about 1 in 2,000 to 1 in 4,000 newborns. This data, however, is on population that iodine nutrition is sufficient. Children with Down syndrome are at a higher risk, and then with maternal history, this really plays a big role, such as exposure to radiation early in pregnancy, presence of antibodies, or intake of any antithyroid medication, and even dietary history, such as iodine intake, is very important to ask. So great. Down syndrome patients are at a higher risk, but also maternal history is key. Do most babies with congenital hypothyroidism have an identifiable risk factor? Most infants diagnosed with congenital hypothyroidism actually do not have any identifiable risk factors. And how would you screen for poor iodine intake? Is that even possible here in the United States? This is actually more common in countries with limited resources and access to healthcare. Fortunately, this is not a problem we see here in the United States. Screening is mainly through history or how the nutritional intake of the mother is. But if you really want to know to check um, iodine deficiency, you can do this by a urine sample. Okay, excellent. So maybe here in the United States wouldn't be as common, but perhaps if a mom delivered in another country, you would consider that. That is correct. You mentioned earlier about the presence of antibodies. Can a mom have an antithyroid antibody that can affect her baby, but she's actually asymptomatic? Um, that is possible, although very rare. Um, in mothers with autoimmune thyroid condition, maternal thyrotropin receptor blocking antibodies crosses the placenta and can cause transient hypothyroidism. Um, this usually normalizes within three weeks without therapy, so sometimes you can just follow it, and if the TSH goes down, then this is likely the case, especially if you have a mother that has a history of the autoimmune condition. Okay, great. So the take-home for our pediatricians is that most of the time, babies who are screened positive for congenital hypothyroidism don't have an identifiable risk factor, but we still need to take a careful history to make sure we're not missing something. That's right. That makes a lot of sense. I understand that all states in the U.S. screen for congenital hypothyroidism. Dr. Chan, will you remind us why it is so important that we diagnose and treat these children so early? 
Yes, so um, as we have mentioned, the timing of treatment is of high importance to prevent severe intellectual disability and developmental delay. Research shows that there is an inverse relationship between intelligence quotient and age of diagnosis and treatment, meaning the longer treatment is delayed, the higher risk of low IQ scores. Treatment within two weeks of age is ideal, and the goal is to have the infant BU thyroid as early as possible. So Dr. Chan, typically what day of life do most pediatricians find out about abnormal thyroid testing on newborn metabolic screens? Pediatricians typically get the results on the newborn screen around the first week of life. And you said early treatment is so important for good developmental outcomes. If treatment were to be delayed to the third or fourth week of life, how likely would the child be affected? Um, There are data out there that confirms that delay in treatment caused significant drop in IQ for every week that therapies missed after the third week of life. And that's the reason why you want to treat it in the first three weeks of life. Um, This is the reason why it is important to render an infant youth thyroid as early as possible, meaning having a normal TSH and a free T4 for age. Excellent. So for our pediatricians, as soon as you get that abnormal metabolic screen, we need to confirm that diagnosis and start treatment as soon as possible ideally within two weeks of age, to prevent worsening developmental outcomes. That's correct. So you confirm it with a serum TSH and free D4, and then once you get that result and it confirms, then you just start the treatment right away. All right. It seems that before we go much further, we should quickly review some of the basics of how thyroid hormone is made. Then we can talk about what can go wrong. Thinking back to medical school, I know this has to do with hypothalamus and pituitary, but some of those endocrinology lectures were so confusing with this hormone going up and the other going down. Dr. Chan, can you make it simple for us? What do we need to know about thyroid physiology to take care of children with congenital hypothyroidism? Yes, absolutely. This is actually very, very important to know, and we kind of go back to the basics of physiology. So the hypothalamus produces the thyroid-releasing hormone, or TRH. This then stimulates the anterior pituitary gland to produce the thyroid-stimulating hormone, or TSH. This is also known as thyrotropin. I know nomenclature can get confusing sometimes, so just, you know, be aware of that one. The TSH then signals the thyroid gland to produce the thyroxine, or again, what we call T4. The T4 gets converted to T3, which is the actual active form of the thyroid hormone. The thyroid hormone produced then inhibits the TSH and TRH production once a stable level is achieved. So, when you see an elevated TSH, this may mean that the pituitary is not getting adequate inhibitory effect due to the absence or lack of the thyroid hormone. So let's focus in on the take-home points for our pediatricians. The hypothalamus, pituitary, and the thyroid gland are the key players here. The ones that we most often measure, though, are TSH and T4. TSH is how the pituitary tells the thyroid gland to increase the thyroid hormone production. So if we see an elevated TSH, that suggests that there's a problem with the thyroid gland. However, if there is a low T4, but a normal TSH, that might suggest that the problem might be coming from a central cause like a pituitary or hypothalamus. Yes, that's correct. So what is actually tested on the newborn screen and how do you interpret what is abnormal? The newborn screen checks either the TSH, T4, or both. There are two screening strategies, um, one that checks the TSH first, followed by the T4, if elevated. Another one is checking the T4 first, and if low, the TSH is measured. But the ideal program, though, is the one that measures both TSH plus the T4. Anytime that the TSH is above 25 milliunits per liter, congenital hypothyroidism is suspected and serum levels should be drawn as soon as possible. 
So I thought this was so interesting hearing that there are different types of modalities for screening for congenital hypothyroidism. What are the potential benefits and risks of each screening method? Remember that's TSH only versus T4 only versus combined TSH and T4. So newborn screen that checks a T4 can detect infants with primary hypothyroidism if T4 is low. It can also detect those with thyroxine binding globulin deficiency. However, it can miss infants that has an initially low T4 and a delayed rise in TSH. For those programs that screen TSH only, so this can miss those who have central hypothyroidism for which a T4 will be low and TSH is inappropriately normal because as we have discussed earlier, if the T4 is low, the TSH should be high. So sometimes the T4 will be low and the TSH will be inappropriately normal. And so this will be missed in this type of screening. So the take-home point is that we just need to be aware of what is actually tested on the newborn screen because if only the TSH or only the T4 is tested, that test might lose some sensitivity or specificity kind of depending on the specifics. Dr. Chan, are there any sampling errors that might reduce the accuracy of these newborn screens? I remember that TSH is typically much higher during the first day of life. That is true. So if TSH is measured in the first 24 hours of life, then this can be read as false positive as there's a normal surge of TSH at birth. This is due to the sudden change in the environment of the infant from in utero, and this normalizes after 24 hours of life. So just imagine a baby being in a warm environment of the maternal uterus and then all of a sudden coming out in this world and it's suddenly cold. So the infant adjusts and the TSH surges because of this. So it's important that we delay those routine metabolic screens till at least 24 hours of life. That's correct. Dr. Chan, here in Georgia, what modality do we use for testing? So here in Georgia or the CSRA area, we actually use the combined primary TSH plus T4 measurement, which luckily is actually the best program to be used. Fantastic. So let's say we have a newborn in our clinic and we just found out the newborn screen was concerning for congenital hypothyroidism. What should be on our differential diagnosis as potential causes of hypothyroidism in a baby? Okay, so remember, the newborn screen mainly checks for the primary disease of the thyroid itself. The most common cause is thyroid dysgenesis or abnormal thyroid development. This can be ectopic thyroid, thyroid hypoplasia, or even complete aplasia. Thyroid dysgenesis is actually the most common cause, more than 90% cases, and almost always sporadic, meaning it's not something that is inherited or caused by anything. It just happens. The next cause of congenital hyperthyroidism is what we call dyshormogenesis, or an error in the thyroxine synthesis itself. The less frequent ones are the central hypothyroidism or problem with the pituitary itself, or any iodine-related hypothyroidism, whether it's deficiency or excess. So you said the most common cause is thyroid dysgenesis or an abnormal thyroid development. But you also mentioned ectopic thyroid. Where else might the thyroid develop? The most common location of ectopic thyroid is the lingual thyroid or thyroid developing at the base of the tongue. And this has a lot to do with embryology of it. You know, the thyroid first develops at the base of the tongue. It kind of migrates in the neck. So if there's a defect in how that happens, then you will have an ectopic thyroid. Very good. Thinking about biochemical issues that may cause hypothyroidism, what do you mean by thyroid dyshormogenesis? So dyshormogenesis is more of an enzymatic defect in the actual thyroid hormone synthesis, meaning your thyroid gland is fine. You have a thyroid gland, but then the actual making of the thyroid hormone itself is where the problem is. 
Fantastic. How might less common causes of central hypothyroidism present differently? So central hypothyroidism is different in that in this case, the TSH will be low. As we have mentioned, an elevated TSH suggests that the thyroid gland is not working because there is no feedback to the pituitary to suppress the TSH. For central hypothyroidism, the signal to the thyroid gland via TSH is insufficient and the lab result will show a low TSH and free T4 or a low free T4 in appropriately normal TSH. Very good. And if we're thinking about a possible central hyperthyroidism, are there other associated abnormalities that we need to consider? Oh, yes. If this is detected, then it is very important to check the other hormones secreted by the pituitary gland for the possibility of panhypopituitarism. Most importantly, adrenal insufficiency, which is actually the life threatening one. Okay. So, lots to consider here. There are many causes of hypothyroidism. They can be geographic, where the thyroid develops in an inappropriate location, it can be biochemical, or there can be a central hypothyroidism. When thinking about those cases of central hypothyroidism, you need to consider other associated conditions like panhypopituitarism. That is correct because it's very rare to have an isolated TSH deficiency. Usually if you have a TSH deficiency, you will have other forms of pituitary dysfunction. So we know that most babies with congenital hypothyroidism are actually asymptomatic, but are there any findings on exams that we should look out for that might suggest a diagnosis? You're absolutely right. Most infants with congenital hypothyroidism will have a normal vital signs and normal physical exam, and you actually just find out by the newborn screen. There are signs and symptoms, however, that are highly suggestive of hypothyroidism. So on exam, infants that have a wide fontanelle, poor suck, hoarse cry, umbilical hernia, hypotonia, hyperthermia, or even dry skin and jaundice are all suggestive of hypothyroidism. And when you talk about history, so when you hear something like excess sleeping, poor feeding, constipations, hypothyroidism or congenital hypothyroidism should be one of the things that you'd be thinking about. Dr. Chan, if these physical exam findings are present, do you expect to see them at the time of birth or do they develop over the next few weeks of life? Well, it varies. Exams like hernia and wide open fontanel tend to be obvious at birth, but exams such as jaundice or hypotonia may not be clearly evident until later on. Um, I guess it has a lot to do with how severe the hypothyroidism is, which, you know, the TSH level can tell you. So if you have a TSH level that is like a thousand, so mostly they will present with, if not all, some of the symptoms. Very good. So for our pediatricians, keep those signs and symptoms in mind. Horse suck, wide open fontanelle, horse cry, umbilical hernia, hypotonia. All these are relatively nonspecific, but if you start seeing multiple, think about hypothyroidism. Thinking back to our case, we have a one-week-old baby in our clinic with suspected hypothyroidism based on the newborn screen. What confirmatory testing should we do? And is there any reason to repeat the newborn screen? So if the newborn screen comes back abnormal, then checking the TSH and 3 t 4 should be done right away. I would not recommend to repeat a newborn screen as this takes a long time to come back, whereas a serum TSH and 3 t 4 you can have the result within 24 hours and start therapy as needed. So I think this is a good teaching point. Early in my training, it was common for the question to come up, do we need to repeat the newborn metabolic screen? But no, we need to draw a serum TSH and free T4 because those results will come back so much sooner. Dr. Chan, is it okay for us to use the adult normal values for TSH and free T4 that we already have in our health record? Or should we use age-based cutoffs? 
age-specific cutoff is what should be used. And Harlequin has a very good table for age-specific cutoffs. And it is very important to note that most lab actually uses the adult cutoff. So, you know, even a normal one would be flagged as red or abnormal when in fact it is normal for that specific age group. So maybe their youngest children, it's actually normal to have a little bit higher TSH. That's correct. Generally speaking, is there a certain level of TSH that's nearly always diagnostic for congenital hypothyroidism? You know, for me, if you get a newborn screen with a TSH of greater than 100, then, you know, milliunits per liter, then it is almost always an indication to start therapy. And sometimes you can actually start therapy while, you know, you do the serum TSH and free T4 and just stop it if it comes back normal. That's very interesting. So the risk of harms of one or two days of thyroid medication is so low, if the clinical suspicion is very high, it is safe to start that treatment. That's true. How common is it for the TSH to only be mildly elevated or the free T4 only just a little depressed? Do you treat those newborns as if they have congenital hypothyroidism, even when it's not clear? Um, There are times when there is a transient elevation of TSH or transiently low T4. This is not really common. However, again, you have that maternal history that plays a big role, whether the mom is taking any antithyroid medication or has a poor diet. But, you know, as a general rule, if you are in doubt, just treat. I think that'll be a big take on point for today's episode. If you're worried about congenital hypothyroidism, just go ahead and start the treatment and get the appropriate testing done. And kind of thinking back to testing, is there really any role for thyroid imaging in these patients? Uh, For imaging, for me, uh, this really doesn't have a big role. There is a lot of controversy for this. Whatever the imaging can do, whether trying to do an ultrasound or a scan, trying to find out if the thyroid gland is there or not, you can actually do this clinically. Plus, the management does not change. You still have to treat as early as possible, then evaluate later on. Like, for example, if you have a baby that has been on 25 micrograms or the lowest dose of levothyroxine from birth and then at three years, then that's something that can suggest that you can trial off. But if you have somebody that was on 25 and now on 100, then you can mostly safely say that this baby does have congenital hypothyroidism, which is a permanent one. So for me, what I'm hearing is our pediatricians should focus on not missing the diagnosis and initiating therapy in a timely manner. And we can just let the thyroid imaging be delayed for the specialist to consider. Yes, that's true. Dr. Chan, thinking back to my NICU rotation during med school, I noticed that premature babies were more likely to be diagnosed with hypothyroidism. What do we need to know about specific circumstances that might make the diagnosis of congenital hypothyroidism more difficult? Well, you know, NICU is a special place. There are various reasons why an infant that are critically ill and requires NICU admission have an abnormal thyroid function test. First, a lot of babies in the NICU are premature, and the immaturity of the hypothalamic pituitary axis resulting to a low T4 and normal TSH happens. Another reason is that these infants may be sick enough and require steroids, dopamine, and dobutamine, all of which can cause a decrease in TSH levels. And lastly, critical illness can cause non-thyroidal illness, or what we also call euthyroid sick syndrome, wherein the total T4 will be low and the TSH will be low in the beginning, and as they get better, the TSH will rise. So what I'm hearing is take the entire clinical context into consideration when you're making a decision about baby having hypothyroidism. And another theme is if you're worried about the diagnosis, just go ahead and start treatment, because all of that can be weaned off later when necessary. So going back to our one-week-old baby girl in our clinic, 
If our repeat labs in clinic are notable for an elevated TSH and a low free T4, what is our next step? If the TSH is elevated and the free T4 is low via serum, I highly recommend to start treatment already because that is already suggestive of congenital hypothyroidism. Again, as a rule of thumb, congenital hypothyroidism, when in doubt, just treat. We can always do a trial off at three years of age. It is better to do this than risk a child having irreversible outcome at a latter age. The initial recommended dose is 10 to 15 micrograms per kg per day. LT4, or, or what we also call levothyroxine, is a treatment of choice. And it's very important to educate the family of how to properly take levothyroxine. So levothyroxine is the treatment of choice, and 10 to 15 micrograms per kilo per day is typically the recommended dose. But don't memorize that. Look that up if you have a patient with suspected congenital hypothyroidism. Dr. Chan, do you have any practical tips on how to give the medicine? Should we time it around feeds or give it at the same time of each day? Ideally, levothyroxine should be given on an empty stomach and with water. Obviously, this is not the case for newborn. In this matter, we instruct families to crush the tablet and mix it with a small amount of milk or formula. But this is very important. You don't tell them to mix it in a whole bottle because there's a risk that they might not finish it if they are bottle fed. Timing with feeding more applies to older infants when feeding is more spaced out. There is no particular time of the day that I would recommend giving it. However, I do recommend it giving it a specific time of day. So if you give it in the morning, just give it every morning, every time. I think it's really important to mix the medicine in a very small amount of milk and not the entire bottle, just in case the baby doesn't finish the entire feed. Are there other thoughts, tablets or suspension or brand name or generics that we should know about? Tablet is really still the ideal form of levothyroxine. There is no liquid formulation licensed by the U.S. FDA as of now. Local pharmacists may try to provide suspensions. However, the dosage may be unreliable. Generic versus brand name does not really matter. However, there is a commercial brand out there that has recently been making levothyroxine solution and it is prepared as a single dose ampule to have a reliable dose in it. So for our patients, most of them will be using the generic form of a tablet and they'll be crushed in a small amount of milk. Dr. Chan, when I was preparing for this episode, I read that if a newborn baby has secondary hypothyroidism, that being pituitary dysfunction causing their hypothyroidism, and also has adrenal insufficiency, starting thyroid replacement prior to replacing corticosteroids might be dangerous. What do our pediatricians need to know about this uncommon scenario? In terms of central hypothyroidism, that is a very good point. When you diagnose a baby or actually any individual with central hypothyroidism, meaning a pituitary dysfunction, it is very important to evaluate the adrenal function. Starting levothyroxine therapy on someone who has an undiagnosed adrenal insufficiency can cause adrenal crisis because the thyroid hormone of the levothyroxine can cause increased cortisol clearance. So how interesting. So one take-home point is if we see a baby and we're worried about multiple problems going on, that might be a good time to reach out to our local pediatric endocrinologist before we just start a generic treatment. Yes, that's true. I do get a lot of this question whether central hypothyroidism and starting a therapy right away. So my knee-jerk response would be make sure the cortisol level is good. Okay, very good. So after starting the newborn on the appropriate dose of levothyroxine, when would you typically like to see them back in clinic for retesting? The AAP recommend a follow-up at two to four weeks after initiation of levothyroxine. Then every one to two months, first six months of life. Then every three to four months at six months to three years of life. Then every six to 12 months. 
However, this is recommendation and you have to do this on a case-to-case basis. So if you have a symptomatic child, then you should check sooner than the recommended follow-up and not wait for, you know, three months or four months. If you have to adjust a dose, for example, a three-year-old being on a 25, now on a 37.5 microgram, then I would have them come back in two months instead of waiting four months for the levels to be checked again. So what I'm hearing is we're going to follow these children very closely and we're not going to tolerate suboptimal dosing. So whether that's coming in every couple of months or even more frequently when babies are really young. Dr. Chan, how do you know when you have optimized that dose? The goal of therapy is to normalize T4 in two weeks and the TSH is in one month. So it's interesting that the T4 normalizes well before the TSH. When adjusting doses further, do you just try to get the TSH and free T4 in the normal range or something more specific? Yeah, so during the course of the therapy, the goal is to have the free T4 on the upper half of reference and the TSH to be in the low normal. And this is, again, during the course. But it's important to note that when you start it, you follow them closer because you want that T4 and TSH to be normal, especially in the first month of life. Okay, so the main points here, don't let a baby fall through the cracks who's on treatment for hypothyroidism. Make sure they're being seen frequently for routine blood testing to make sure that TSH and free T4 are within normal limits. That's right. So, wow, we've really covered a lot of great information today, and we're actually starting to get short on time. Dr. Chan, do you have any final take-home points for our listeners? Yes, again, I want to emphasize that congenital hypothyroidism is such an important condition to recognize early as timing of treatment is important. And again, when in doubt, just treat. Levothyroxine is the drug of choice, and as of now, it's still the tablet form. And if you have any questions, then I would recommend reaching out to your local pediatric endocrinologist, and we'll be happy to answer any questions. Excellent. Thanks so much to each of you for coming on the show today. I've had a great time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. And thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email us at mcgpediatricpodcast at augusta.edu. Remember that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any particular patient. Clinical vignette cases presented today are based on hypothetical patient scenarios. Free CME credit is also available for today's episode. Please refer to our show notes in the description of this podcast for the link. We look forward to speaking with you on our next episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast.